Good everyone, welcome back to another Friday Wrap. Uh, we are jumping on Spark Your Fire podcast again. Uh, listeners, always welcome you to be with us. And more importantly, we are back with our two bro, brothers, what can I call? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> colleagues, um, corporates, whatever you like it. Jazz and John, how are you guys doing, man? I am great. Thanks for asking. Happy Friday, as always. Hi, gents. I'm also well. So nice to see you both. <laughs> oh, as always, mate. This <laughs> is the Friday. best time. This is the best time of the week, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We all get together, have a little yarn, have a look at some excite, have a look at some people who's uh, who's made their dough, or you know, got some really wise advice, and then we try to, uh, yeah, in some sense, probably discuss it and maybe pull it apart. Sometimes we don't necessarily agree. Sometimes we do agree with these philosophies. Um, and today i thought it would be very very interesting to bring one of the most classic 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 mentors that i think most of us would have the author of rich dad poor dad robert kiyosaki and we're going to be digging into six of his basic investing principles okay so i think for a lot of our listeners who's quite financial savvy i mean you know you, if you if you've been tuning into spark your fire you should be very financial savvy by now <laughs> for those new ones i'm sure that's okay you're still not too late you know you can still jump on there's heaps of episodes previously so uh you know feel free to uh to go hard and uh, and, and listen to them but um yeah, gents, I think uh, today we'll, we'll probably dig into these uh, six points. And, um, you know, I, I think some points we don't necessarily agree, like even just before we jump on, right? So well, I, I think it'll be interesting to see different perspectives um, now that we're kind of on different grounds as well. What do you guys reckon? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do I it. Can, I can hear your house is not an asset somewhere rattling around. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> oh, mate, yeah. Love it, love it. All right. Well, that's uh, in that case. Then, without any further ado, let's jump in. So, first point uh, is talking all talking about leverage. So, um, you know, basically, Robert Kiyosaki is a big uh, is a big favorite in terms of using other people's money. Um, in in that sense, he actually says he actually says, and I think this might be a U.S. system: the more debt you have, the less tax you have to pay to a degree, which to a level i was kind of like you, you know yes and yes and no it depends on whether it's a good debt or bad debt so you know it kind of, it kind of comes back to having to differentiate what's really what what is good debt and what is bad debt we, we're not going to cover it here we've talked about it heaps of times mm-hmm. um but yeah in in order to be able to excel um and be able to invest and be financially wealthy you do need to look at leveraging I don't think there's any questions about that personally. I mean, if I just talk from a property perspective, you do need to leverage and it's a very powerful tool. I mean, one of the main things that we invest in property is because of leverage, right? So, um, but yeah, I've set the scene um, in, in that regard. John, um, any, any other comments, any thoughts on this topic? Uh, well, he describes uh, using leverage as infinite returns, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't describe it as infinite returns, but I would describe it as magnified returns. And, mm. and technically, it's magnified losses. But the reason he likes leverage so much in real estate is because the lo- losses are generally speaking uh, pretty minimal, or there's a flaw there. So I'm, I'm going to agree with him on the uh, the more debt you have, the less the less tax you pay. Um, it's not it's it's a very simple way to put it and it's not exactly right but i think what he's getting at is a couple of things one is that um 
what one is that interest on debt is tax deductible and it offsets against income. So that's the obvious thing. In, in Australia, we we call we we partly call that negative gearing, but it, it's true. It's true. So in real estate, you, in Australia, you'd get uh, capital growth and offset the interest repayments. But where I think he's more correct is that um, people with debt and people with assets backing up their debt and uh, and credit histories can redraw against these assets, as in borrow money and not pay any income tax on that. So they can go to the bank and say, I'd like $100,000 because I've got an asset worth a million dollars or $2 million. And that $100,000 redraw is tax-free. Um, now you pay interest on it, but that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So it depends on the asset and all that sort of stuff. But that is tax-free, that redraw. And I think that's how a lot of wealthy people have made their money. So I'm going to give a tick for Robert Kiyosaki on always use other people's money I, 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 and a tick for, uh, you know, generally speaking, as long as you're financially educated, using debt is a really, really savvy way to get rich. Uh, you reckon? Um, so, yes, leverage is a, power, a powerful tool. We all know that, right? So, I mean, it's common in real estate. If you, if you remove the leverage out of the real estate, what's the real value of the real estate, right? Uh, it's really not, I mean, the house that is worth a million today is not actually really worth a million if you take the leverage out. Um, when I say take the leverage out, I mean, basically, uh, if we were to say that you're not allowed to take a loan on a property, uh, true value of the property in that case, probably that million dollar house would probably not even be worth 200K. Simple as that, right? So that's first thing about the leverage. So, But leverage is, both good and bad. Um, if you are buying a property for a long-term period, um, let's say 10 20, 10, 20 years, you know that leverage plays out its part. Stock standard, nothing surprising about that, right? Um, but if you're using leverage over a short to medium term, I think it can really, really play against you and it can create a habit in your life. and uh, business, whatever it is, right? Uh, meaning that if you were to use leverage just to buy a property to flip it after six months, let's say if you bought the property in Jan this year and you're trying to flip it uh, now, that leverage is actually against you. It's worked against you. So you got to be careful when we use the word leverage. Yes, I agree with John that it's a take, but used by used by a genius, it's a take, used by an idiot, you know what happens. Yeah, it's good for assets where there's inflation because you keep the upside and uh, and the debt doesn't change. So I think that, you know, where there's inflation, debt's a good thing. Mm -hmm. And one more thing, uh, we always talk about leverage that it's scary in stock markets. It is, it is really scary because mm -hmm. there's margin call. And then we say, you know what, leverage is safe in property. It's not really. If you look at the contract that you're signing, it has got that um, baked into it that bank can do a margin call on a property as well. It's just that it doesn't happen that often. Yeah, I was going to say margin call was going to be a perfect example, especially with the stock market now in bloodbath. If someone kind of you know borrow money to get into U.S. stock, who's got you know shed about forty percent <laughs> off or something, yeah, that's. Um, uh, that's dangerous leveraging, exactly. basically. 
So right. anyone who bought stock, stocks on a leverage in the last three or four months, wiped out. Like, mm. uh, you, you owe money to the bank now all of a sudden. Yeah, completely. And I think, you know, from property perspective, mining towns is a classic example as well. People bought in mining towns, you know, and people leveraged in mining towns. And when the, when the, uh, um, when the tide turns and, uh, you know, the property prices unfortunately fell big time on those, that's, you actually owe bank a lot more than what the property is worth so exactly be careful about be careful about leverage i do agree with you it's a double-edged sword um use it wisely um then it's a very powerful tool which could compound your wealth in a long run mm-hmm. but at the same time um i mean coming if i if i wear my mortgage broker hat on as well I, in the last two years a lot of people have overstretched and over leveraged themselves especially in getting into a big dream home of theirs um on an upwards interest rate cycle at the moment, it's uh, it's quite dangerous in terms of the repayment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it's yeah, it's not all it's not all good and it's not all bad. It depends on how you leverage and what you use it for. Um, like I mentioned, it's a double-edged sword, and that's why Jazz always hopped on. Be careful about how much you borrow, you know, don't over-leverage that kind of things. So and in property, it can be a really scary game if you've got a property portfolio. It gets really scary real quick, because if you have to sell one property. And you're leveraged too heavily. Yeah, look, look. You, over the you long, know, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to scare people off, but over the long <laughs> run, in property, 20, 30 years, should be okay. But uh, again, it comes down to what category we are talking. I'll hold it out. Yeah. The, Sorry, the devil's in the detail. It all depends on what you're borrowing for. However, I think it's fair to say you can't get rich without leverage. Oh, good points. Uh, I think that was a decent conversation there. So. Uh, uh, Okay, so that's good Good coverage on leverage. Let's move on to the next point. Um, so he talks about three types of income um, that you that uh, every investor should be aware of. There's the, there's the earned income, which is what you work for. You need to pay taxes on those. Okay, so he focuses a big time about taxes. Um, you know, you, you work hard, you earn an income and you pay tax. That's what you call an earned income. You have a portfolio income, which is, uh, you know, potentially your investment portfolio, which by flipping your houses, selling your houses, you trade shares, take a profit. Again, you need to pay tax on that. Um, And the third one is more about a passive, what they call, what he calls a passive income. I mean, Robert Kiyosaki is very big in terms of cash flow, right? He's always saying you need to buy assets in order to generate cash flow, in order to generate passive income. So, um, the third type, the passive income, is the one that um, uh, which he really, he really, he really said that uh, this is what you should be focusing on. He did mention, I don't know whether it's a U.S. system that he, somehow you're able to bypass taxes. I'm not sure whether that's accurate or whether that's absolutely true. Unfortunately, in Australia, even to passive income, like any kind of passive rental income or dividends that you get, you still need to pay taxes on those as well. But in general, I think the underlying concept there is. Because um, you bring it back to the four quadrants, which we all know about the ESBI, right? So I'm not going to repeat it here. Um, there's only so much time and so much day that you can do your earned income um, and so much you can trade, et cetera, et cetera, in your portfolio income. So what you really should be focusing on is building your assets and build up that passive income stream that, you're, that, you, that you want. That's really going to give you that freedom. So that's my take of the three types of income. Jazz, I'll start with you this time. What do you reckon? What are your thoughts? I think uh, pretty much uh, well, the way you have summed it up, uh, David, there's a, the, the thing that 
that needs to be remembered is with the income that income is not going to give you CG, right? So it's a combination of the two that you need to balance depending upon your life situation that will help you move further, I think. Uh, that's the only thing that I'll add to what you've already said. So capital growth, isn't it? Yeah. Capital growth, yeah. You need capital, basically, uh, yeah. in, in a sense, yeah. Mm -hmm. John? No, I agree. I agree with both of you and with Robert. Another tick from me, passive income is the holy grail, but you need earned income to acquire the assets that give you passive income. So, but, but the thing is, where do you direct your energy? You, you direct your, directing your energy into buying assets. Uh, so, yep, I totally agree. I also agree with you that it doesn't bypass taxes. So passive income is still taxable income. So there might be a quirk in the US system there, but... Uh, but so far, so good, Mr. Kiyosaki. <laughs> All right. Well, that's another tick. That one's an easy one. Um, number three, uh, get financially educated. Um, so get financial education. So in this point, he talks about, he actually gave the, the education system a hard time. He says the school teaches nothing about money, which I do agree. I think our school system is, it, it is basically programmed in order to produce workers, right? Like you would be, you will be, you will be, uh, you were born, you and then you will be raised to say, okay, well, you should go to school, you should then do a good grade, you could get a job, work hard to earn money, pay off debt, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's how our system is is being, uh, how our school system is currently being working. Basically, is to be able to produce more workers. But he he believes that you know nobody throughout the whole education system teaches you how you should be managing money, how debt works um, in, in this case, right? Like, again, he, he comes back to debt because that was kind of like the first point that we just touched on. You need to leverage to be able to become wealthy. And he made the crucial point about um, rich people knows how to use debt to, to basically get wealth or get wealthy and get rich, okay? So in order to get out of a rat race, you need to get yourself financially educated. Uh, unfortunately, that kind of education you cannot get from the system, from our current public education system. Um, and uh, that's why you need to do your own financial education in order to be able to yeah, beat the, beat the rat race and um, be able to retire early, which is what everyone really wants, my understanding. So, so get financial education. John, what are your thoughts? Yeah, very hard to disagree with get a financial education. I mean, it's a truism, right? Uh, you should get, also get a, 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 an education in, in a bunch of areas. I don't know how to fix a car, but I, I suggest that's probably good to be educated in that sense as well. Um, so, but, but I mean, obviously this is a really important piece because it's very open. You know, you, you have to get yourself educated. One thing he does dig into here is the nature of currency itself. And he talks right at the beginning of this point about um that our currency isn't really money, it's it's debt. And he talks about how when Nixon took us off the gold standard in 1971, uh, what we what we think is what we think is money is actually just a unit of debt. And then he goes on to say, why would you want to hold um, like a liability or someone else's liability? You know, like you've got a um, if the currency is a unit of debt, you don't want to save it, sort of thing. So he says you, you've got to uh, educate yourself on on what currency is, what money is, uh, and 
what we think is currency isn't currency since 1971. I actually really agree with that. Um, so I, I think he's he's right. But if we sort of zoom out and we say get financially educated, I think that can mean different things to different people. I think what some people perceive to be a, a financial education would be different to what other people believe. And I think the devil's in the detail there. But I agree with his perception of what, say, currency is. And I agree with what he says about what a financial education is. And, and I, that's like a, a third tick for me. I mean, like, what I would say is for me, understanding what happened in 1971 mm -hmm. and understanding the difference between currency uh, that comes off the printing press of the central bank and money, which is the gold in the central bank in the vaults, understanding the difference between currency and money was a, was a game changer for me. And it changed how I viewed debt. I think that's a very important point, actually. And uh, when he talks about President Nixon, I thought you were gonna you're gonna pick that part <laughs> up. So <laughs> I'll let you summarize it eloquently as always. And uh, so thank you for thank you for uh, picking that up. Jazz, any um any thoughts on this one? Any uh, any further him on the financial education system that it's uh, it prepares you for a job? I I, I think he's wrong. Uh, this is always a um, a mindset game, right? Some people uh, want to do a job. There's nothing wrong with that. They love mm -hmm. doing job. They want that uh, peaceful life of going to work at a certain time and coming back at a certain time without having to worry about all the other business operations. They love working. That's fine. Other, people's are, other people are creative or passionate about their stuff, what they want to do in life, and they go and explore. Doesn't mean that they are entrepreneur. They just want to explore, right? And then there's a third, third category. I, I mean, I'm just making up categories over here. The third category is uh, entrepreneurs, right? like Musk, uh, who don't care about the financial, uh, sorry, the education system uh, at all. And they're naturally uh, are entrepreneurs at heart. Uh, and money doesn't matter to, them, matter to them. What matters to them is building stuff. Right? So I disagree with him on that part, but uh, getting financial education otherwise, yeah, of course. I mean, uh, it's always good to have that knowledge, I think. But I think, I think what he's essentially saying is that you need to know enough about how the system works to realize that you can't save yourself rich. I think, I think that's, that's his key point. So if you understand the system, the nature of money and currency, that will make you, do, uh, make, you make different decisions. And one of those decisions would be that you don't save money you invest money invest. or you, yeah. you or at least you, you understand what really those digits in your bank account really are which are units of debt yeah agree on that mm -hmm. yeah i probably haven't summarized it as well as what john could have so uh, yeah that, that's that's probably me misleading you down, a, down the wrong path jazz <laughs> <laughs> so yeah but uh, yeah essentially i think it's uh, and and it's and it's a relatively new concept since since now, what, in the 2000s, right? I think if you ask your mom and dad around that generation, they probably wouldn't have the idea about, you know, because they, they were always, in that in that generation and era, it's always about just get a job, save up, pay down your home loan, and then, you know, live a good life in that perspective. It wasn't, information wasn't flowly, free, uh, flowing as freely as what we, and as quickly as what we're getting today. Um, so therefore, you know, they, they have a simple, much simpler life, whereas now um, information is a lot more readily available and therefore we do need to get ourselves more educated and the times have changed, as what John has pointed out. Um, basically, yeah, now that we all have to live with debt, basically, that's the new money. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
Good. All right. Anything else to add, gents, on this one? No? Okay. All right. Uh, next one. Invest for cash flow. This is going to be an interesting one, I mean, I can smell, I can smell the coming. <laughs> All right. So um, okay, so so basically the whole the, the key point that uh, Robert Kiyosaki's talking about here is acquire assets which can generate cash flow. That's the main, that's the that's the main concept, and that's what she's always been harping on about across his books, right? So um, he also talks about uh, instead of focusing on growing an income, focusing on growing, basically the idea is focus on growing the asset portfolio that's going to give you that income. So you know how you know how that four quadrants that they always have, most people focus on just, just growing, just building the income, right? So get a better, get a higher paying job, et cetera, et cetera, work harder, blah, blah, blah. Um, the mindset shift here is they want people to be able to understand you should be, yes, you, you should definitely get a good job, get a high paying job, but at the same time, invest those money wisely so that you can grow your assets portfolio, which then in turn be able to pay your passive income in order to help you on that perspective. So that's what he meant by invest for cash flow, but invest in assets that are going to generate cash flow. Okay, so which I think, again, in the long run, um, you know, it all leads to financial uh, financial freedom. Um, once you have enough assets, and again, this is probably talking about in the US, I think in Australia, possible, but could be very, very challenging depending on what sort of passive income you're after. Um, but in essence, yeah, if you if you continue to grow your portfolio with assets, uh, which can give you positive cash flow, that can supplement the uh, lifestyle that you want and give you that freedom of time back. So investing for cash flow. Any thoughts on that, Jess? Uh, this one is a good one. We have discussed that in the past as well. We have. Uh, we have. And we have always said that nothing beats property, especially when it comes to cash flow, right? Um, if you look at all the other asset classes, uh, the safest return you normally get is through the rental property. Right? So nothing beats that. Um, and otherwise as well, when you're investing, uh, property is normally the safest asset class. Uh, unless you're a punter and you go out and punt, uh, that's a different thing. Then you can be at a horse race or you can be at a casino. Don't need to be an asset class, you're punting. Um, but I think cash flow. You always invest for cash flow. Even when you run a business, you're, you, the reason you're running a business is to generate the cash flow, right? So um, investing sort of in property gives you both uh, a CG and a cash flow, which is awesome. Yeah, look, I think if you're not investing for cash flow, it's debatable whether you're invest even investing. Uh, because if, if you're investing for capital gain, that, that I mean, aren't you speculating? So I think I think the key is in the word investing uh, and how we define that. So, I, I mean, I broadly I broadly think that that's right. Like you, we are investing for cash flow, and and even when you buy real estate with leverage and you have to pay the debt back, and um, your cash flow is neutral, you're still investing for cash flow. You're just you're just delaying your gratification. You're you're investing for cash flow later on, uh, once the debt's partly paid off. So. Um, I would I would sort of subtly change this from investing for cash flow, yes, and that can be for cash flow in the future and, and deferral of cash flow in the present. Um, but no no qualms no qualms with this. You know, work to buy assets to obtain a passive income, which is which is cash flow. I think that that's fine. Um, I would also just clarify, as sort of Jazz has said, uh, 
we invest for cash flow, yes, but it's the capital growth that makes you rich. So they're both handy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in his videos, he doesn't really talk much about capital growth at all, no. um, isn't it? Especially when I now that if I recall the books that he's, you know, rich dad, poor dad books, I don't think he ever talks about um, capital growth to a, no. to a degree. Maybe it's because there's a certain element of speculation in there. You don't know how much it's going to grow. But that just, uh, I just say, you know, you're starting out a as a, as, a, as, a, as a property investor today, you're trying to build a property portfolio that's really going to give you that cash flow in order to retire. Maybe that's say in 10 years time, that's what you're trying to aim for. If you're just purely buying cash flow properties, is that really possible? Or mm. do you really need the capital growth from the properties to be able to help you achieve to the actual, I guess, the retirement state where you actually get a, a cash flow back into your pocket uh, in, in that sense, right? So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to see that, um, uh, uh, yeah, come, come to think of it. Yeah, I don't recall he ever talked about capital growth much at all. I, I don't think he would buy a, a cash flow negative property, whereas, yeah, that's his, um, whereas I, you know, I have, I would. Um, slightly so, different, slightly different, uh, again, slightly different systems. I think in the US, that, you know, their opportunities are quite different to Australia mm. to a certain degree. So maybe they've got more cash flow type of properties, opportunities in, in comparison to us. But yeah, um, in big cities, I don't think there'll be cash flow positive, to be honest as well. Yeah. So. I mean, American property has better cash flow because uh, essentially America is a more diversified economy. It's got more capital goes into more different segments of the economy. They've got like a thriving tech sector. Australia mm. doesn't really have that. So real estate is one of many asset classes there. And yep. um, it doesn't have that overvaluation that we have here. Awesome. All right. So I think that's uh, that's another tick for Mr. Kiyosaki again. <laughs> uh, number four. Number five, investing isn't risky. I think this is another interesting one. This thing isn't risky. What he's saying there is the background here is um, he said, look, the investment asset classes themselves isn't risky. What's really risky is about you as, a, as, as, as the person, right? Like you're the one that's making emotional decisions most of the time. And I think we can clearly understand this when we see the recent crazy sellouts around US stocks. <laughs> it's mostly driven by fear, by emotions rather than actual facts and data to a certain degree. So, you know, when, it, when we talk about risk, um, you've got to think about it's actually most, most of the risk actually is inherent within us as humans uh, in terms of how we react and how we're emotionally driven uh, with these things. But he then also talks about, you know, um, uh, to understand how to read a financial statement, uh, which is essentially a reflection of your finances, your personal finance, right? You've got, if you consider a financial statement, it's got the income, it's got the expense section, it's got the assets and liabilities, um, which then is a pretty accurate reflection. You know, if you just have a look at, let's say, for example, John, if I ask you to show me, uh, you know, your, your financial statement, right? I'll be able to clearly tell what type of, person you are, whether you are an investor, whether you're someone who likes to take a risk, whether you are someone who is a, a, a potentially an entrepreneur, um, you know, because, you know, you're working hard in generating income, buying assets, that kind of things. Or maybe, you know, if I go on the street and ask a random guy on the street and, uh, you know, he's got no debt, uh, but also no assets as well. It's a very different type of um, 
you know, of, of different risk appetite that people have. Um, and I think using that example, that's what, that's what, that's what I want to circle back to the, the key thing here. Investing isn't risky. It's all about a person. You know, it's about your perception. If you think it's risky, then yes, you're not going to be able to do anything and then let the opportunity cost run its own way. Uh, but at the same time, we all know, I mean, all three of us know that if you want to excel, you will. Investing is not risky as long as you get yourself financially educated and make the right investments and hold it long term. Right. So, so that's my take of the uh, investment isn't risky uh, point. John, I'll start with you again this time. Well, I, I agree that the people are the biggest risk. You know, when an angel investor is deciding uh, what uh, startup to invest in, they look at the management more than they look at the idea because the management tells them everything they need to know. So I agree with that. I also like that um, he talks about the financial statements as your IQ, as a like your report card. Mm. Uh, so it's hard to disagree with that. Um, investing isn't risky. Hmm. I think that, of course, it is. It is. It is risky. Um but but maybe the you know when we're grading the the different kinds of risks the the risks management risk individual risks decision making risk is the biggest risk of them all so yeah. um I, I i yeah i'd probably disagree there but i kind of like the way he frames it around uh, using you know financial statements as a report card and it's a reflection of your decision making uh and uh i think all that all of that is right so yeah more or less agree with that one Actually, there's one more point I want to add in as well. He said, he also mentioned that the real risk is basically asking someone who doesn't know or who has no experience in that area for specific advice. So, for example, you're, if, you're, if you're looking, I'm just using a general example, if you're looking to build a property portfolio, but you're asking someone who hasn't even owned a single property for advice, that's where the real risk lies. Um, I mean, he uses a, you know, like a, a maybe a teacher in the education system in terms of getting an actual investment advice when we don't even know whether the teacher has made any investments in their life in that sense, right? So if it like you go up to a barbecue, you've asked one of your mates, you don't even know whether he's got, uh, he's got any properties and he said, mate, you know, Perth is looking bright at the moment, you should, you should buy something in Perth. Same type of analogy. So mm. that's what he deemed as part of the real risk that you need to be careful. So be careful about who you're listening to and their credibility. I see a lot of people coming to me asking for development sites who have never owned property before. And that is, that's super risky. Not that, you know, you can't make money out of developing, but these people have no expertise. And what I always do in those instances is say, let's buy something that you um, can develop if you decide you want to develop later on. But if you never develop it, it's still a very good standalone investment because, because those, those investors are the risk. Mm. Great point. Jazz. Uh, my take on it is there's no such thing as no risk. There is always risk. Whether it's investing, even even a, a basic, buying a basic property. Um, what's the risk there? Because uh, you're just buying a property and you're going to hold on for five years, that's it. But if you paid, if you overpaid for that property in a wrong market, there goes your risk. And the risk is you're holding on to a dead asset that will not perform for good 10, 20 years, probably. So um, forget stock markets, forget commodities, forget crypto. All of that is next level risk. Just basic bread and butter properties. I think there's a risk over there as well. And we've always said, 
that's why we always say do your own research. Mm. Yeah, great points. John, did you just you look like you're about to say something? No? Oh, no, I've always got that look in my face. Um, <laughs> what, what, one of the things I did distinguish between is assets that you control, like real estate mm-hmm. uh, or direct shares, and assets that you don't control, like your 401k or your superannuation fund. And I thought, I, I, I kind of like that they said, you know, we give we give money to these experts thinking that they're, they're safe, but really you've, you've just abdicated all of your control. So there's a risk in that as well. At the same time, there's also a risk if you take it out and put it in the super uh, self yeah. and a super fund as well in terms of what you're investing in it, right? Now you're taking yeah. the risk back onto yourself, but at least there's more decision-making. It's more of a decision-making risk in terms of what you're buying instead. Yeah, so, and then you're the risk rather than... Then, you're correct, risk. you're the risk, basically. But it comes, I think it circles back about the opportunity cost, especially, you know, tying in, in terms of what we, what we talked about. Debt is essentially now the new money. Um, so if you're actually not investing, then... You're you're losing a big time in terms of opportunity costs there already. So I think most people know that. So, all right, um, let's move on to the last point then. Uh, this one he calls it raise money or capital, but I think that the real point that he's talking about here is um, develop the ability to be able to work out a solution uh, in a sense that he used an example to say. If you've got a great idea concept like an angel startup, that kind of thing, you don't have enough capital. How are you going to be able to get capital? So how are you going to be able to get this, you know, be able to convince people to actually invest into your concept and ideas, right? So again, I think it's somewhat very similar to use other people's money, which is our first point. How can you convince other people to actually leverage, um, invest into your idea or concept and be able to, um, and be able to grow that? even bigger. So that's my take. It was a very short last point. I think it was only like 30 seconds or something uh, from memory. So uh, John, anything on that? No. Uh, well, he just said that he likes not having money. It forces him to be creative. So yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. Learn how to raise capital. Raise out of capital and, and have a have a solution-oriented mind, basically. Yeah. Jax? Uh, this goes back to kind of what we discussed before, isn't it? Leverage. Raise money is leverage. Yeah. Isn't it? Now, depends upon what kind of leverage we are talking. Are we talking uh, bank leverage or what are we saying uh, in property development, it's pretty common uh, to raise money through various different sources to do the development project. So uh, that's another way of doing it, right? So it, it comes down to this, this one, I think it really, really comes down to where you're trying to get to in life. Like if you want to, property developer is probably the best example that comes to mind, I think. Uh, raising money uh, happens in that space normally, right? Uh, unless you're investing all your money, which is common as well. Mm. So uh, yes, it, 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 it has got its good and bad. Uh, and, the, and the bad is obviously that one, you've got other people's money involved, which means you've got to be careful uh, with uh, with your pro- uh, project and relationships with them. And two, obviously, is uh, the liability that comes along with it, right? So good and bad uh, comes down to who's doing it and how they're doing it, essentially. Not, not everyone's cup of tea, I think, I'll say. Oh, definitely not. And I think that's, uh, you know, it's 
but yeah, in order to in order to be able to learn how to invest and, and be able to be wealthy, ultimately you need to learn how to grow and manage the debt, which is again one of the parts of one and one that uh, as as any investors would need to uh, need to be on top of, right? So. Anyway, all right, so that's good. Uh, that's the six points that uh, we got from Mr. Kiyosaki, which I think most of us pretty much agree on. And we have actually already touched on most of these points before uh, with a lot of experienced investors already. So, um, but overall, I think it's a good conversation. It's always any, um, any final thoughts, comments? Yeah, I, yeah. Listening to Robert Kiyosaki for me is like a warm hug. He's so energetic and he's a little bit edgy, and uh, I think I think it's great. So it's good to good to reacquaint myself. Definitely different experiences when you read the book, right? Um, you know, it's, it's especially fascinating when you listen to him in person. It's yeah, uh, yeah it's fun. All right. Well, there goes another episode uh, this week. Uh, thank you for all for joining us. Um, again, this is not financial advice, so uh, we don't know your circumstances. Please do your own research before uh, making any investment decisions. Uh, and if you do like today's content, or if you've got any comments or feedback for us, don't be shy. Uh, we'd love to hear back from you. Comment below, send us an email, whatever form that's going to work for you. But otherwise, we'll see you guys again in another episode of Spark Your Fire. Cheers, John, Jazz, and Dave.